If you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to Nehemiah chapters 3 and 4. So Nehemiah 3 and 4, and welcome to week 10 of our Ezra-Nehemiah series. And Ezra and Nehemiah, as we've heard many times, are books about God keeping his people, but also God keeping his word. They're also books about God, about, or excuse me, about building. So about building, whether it be the temple, whether it be walls, or as we're going to see, building people. So after learning about kind of the scope of the problem and then the potential for opposition, as we saw last week, we at last finally come to the moment where workers assemble and now the work on the walls of Jerusalem begin. And I want you to think about this. During the darkest hours of World War II, Winston Churchill issued a now famous call to the British people to rise up even in the face of great opposition. He laid before them the bleakness of the situation and issued a call to, to unity, but also a call to great effort, exhorting them with this pronouncement. He said, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Nehemiah, after surveying the walls of Jerusalem, the condition of Jerusalem, kind of offered a similar call as we heard last week in chapter 2, verse 17. He says, you see the trouble we're in how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Nehemiah gives no promise of fame or prosperity, no special accommodations, just a call for all to come and to build. And build they do, placing themselves along the walls of Jerusalem, work, working steadily ultimately to restore the good name of their God. And this is where we need to remember that the theme of Nehemiah is not let's start a building project, although in some situations, most situations, there's nothing wrong with building projects, but the theme of this book is let's get to work for the glory of God. That's the theme. Let's get to work for the glory of God. And in chapter 3, as you see, we are given a list of names and and people in a picture of a city under construction. Chapter 3 is about the people of Nehemiah. A list of 40 plus names of, of Jews who came from all over with various backgrounds, various trades, various skills. But all came together for one purpose, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And just look at chapter 3. If you look at it, you'll see a list of name after name after name. Then a few gates along the way. And let me just say this, when we think about Nehemiah 3 and many chapters like this, God is a great believer in writing down names. God's a great believer in writing down names. So 40 plus names that to us are faceless and even, let's be honest, boring for us to even read or consider. But to God, they are faithful and not insignificant people. Enough so that God would etch their names in his Bible forever so if we're not careful listen we easily get lost in a lot of names and a lot of wall building and we miss the whole point of nehemiah chapters three and four and what we must see is that nehemiah is not just descriptive meaning not just describing events true events that took place 2500 years ago although these are true events nehemiah is not simply historically speaking not just descriptive Nehemiah is also prescriptive, meaning 
This is what God expects from all believers throughout all times, meaning that if we are sons and daughters of God, then we will give careful consideration to the broken down walls in our lives, the broken down walls in our church. We will have compassion on others that will lead to prayer that is wrought out and wrung out of Scripture that will ultimately lead us to act, lead us to action. And through the grace and power of God, we will persevere in that action. We will persevere in that work even in the face of opposition, and even in the face of discouragement. So I want us to dive in this morning, and I want us to get a glimpse of the forces working against Nehemiah and against the people of God. So what we're going to do, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read just one verse in chapter 3, that's verse 5, and then we're going to read all of chapter 4 together and just put it all Together, Lord willing. So we're going to start with chapter 3, or excuse me, yeah, chapter 3, verse 5, and it says this. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Now let's look at chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now when Samballot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. And when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is felling. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At the time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So in the lower parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held their spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. 
the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. And the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rallied to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at the time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your word. Lord, teach us what it means for us as your people to have to face opposition and discouragement that comes as a result of there being a real enemy in this world. But help us, Lord, by your grace and mercy, by your power to endure and persevere even in spite of the discouragement, in spite of the opposition, Lord, because you are a God who still fights for us. And if you are for us, your word says, who can be against us? Lord, just speak, we pray today, by your word, through your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So when we think about walls, here's what we know. Walls divide. That's the reason they're built. So you have the, the Great Wall of China that was built to keep people out. In contrast, you had the wall of, or the Great Berlin Wall that was built to keep people in. This destruction actually brought people together in a joyous celebration. But centuries ago, the reconstruction of Jerusalem's walls served to bring people together. It was a work that God had called them to do. Yet there was opposition. In chapter 3, in the midst of name after name who built and repaired, we are given a glimpse of a people. In verse 5, the Tekoites whose nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Listen, there will always be people who consider the task, who consider even the kingdom of God, and aren't stirred to do the work. The wall that Jerusalem, they were building, might have been able to protect them from outside opposition, but it could not protect them from the rebellion in their own hearts, from pride that refuses to stoop down and serve. Listen, the real issue for the Tekoites was submission. Many might have thought they had a better plan. Many might have even said, listen, we don't like the way Nehemiah leads us. Whatever the reason, you can be sure, I guarantee you, they later regretted it because they stand in infamy as the only people mentioned in this chapter who did not join the work. So they were forever known as the people who would not serve. The question becomes this, what about us? Will you still stoop to serve the Lord? Will you consider the Lord Jesus who stooped to wash his disciples' feet and even in a greater way who stooped to come from heaven to earth in order to serve and save us? Will we stoop to serve him? Then unfortunately we get to Nehemiah 4 and we have what, what is called opposition. When people begin to ridicule the work that God had called Nehemiah to and the people to. And the ultimate picture today is how Nehemiah responds in the face of opposition. Opposition and just, that was meant to discourage the people and opposition that was meant to stop the work that was being done. And today I want you to, to make note 
so far in our study of what we call the, the law of proportion, meaning that when it comes to Nehemiah's passion, to this point, we have one verse. When it comes to Nehemiah's prayer, we have six verses on it. When it comes to Nehemiah's plan, we have eight verses on it. When it comes to his preparation, we have 11 verses on it. But when it comes to opposition, we have three straight chapters. It's almost as if God is trying to tell us and teach us something. That opposition is coming. So the reality, starting in chapter 4 all the way to chapter 6, what we're going to learn is no matter how great our passion is for something that God puts in our hearts, no matter how deep our prayer life might be, no matter how much attention and detail we put to planning and preparing, no matter how many people we rally around us for the mission, the reality is that one thing we're going to have to prepare our hearts for more than anything else is the opposition and the discouragement that's going to come if you begin to serve the Lord. It's going to come. Opposition is going to come. Discouragement is going to come. Therefore, I want us to unpack three truths from chapters 3 and 4 that will lead to us, I pray, by God's grace and mercy, lead us to defeat discouragement. The first truth is this. We defeat discouragement as we work as the people of God. So work as the people of God. We work together. One of the best ways that we can defeat discouragement, hear this, together. We do it together. Chapter 3 offers a remarkable picture of God's people working together. So chapter 3, we read about the high priest, the regular priest, the Levites, the non-temple workers, goldsmiths and perfumers, servants and officers, people from towns near and far, fathers and daughters, one next to the other. And what we get from this is, is, is this. God is most glorified when his people are unified. God is most glorified when we're unified. But please hear this. What is it that truly unifies us? And this is where we have to confess that we will never be unified by our preferences. We will never be unified by the things that we like. We will only be truly unified by the purpose that God has given to us and us giving ourselves completely to his purpose. Amen. So Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem had been given their purpose by God. There was no denying that. That was the unifying picture here, to work to build the wall. They were inspired to do that, even systematically breaking up the work and dividing that, and what you see here from verse 2 to verse 31 of chapter 3, you'll see on the screen phrases next to him, next to them, after him, after them, over and over and over again. In fact, 15 times in Nehemiah 3, we find the phrase next to him or next to them, right next to each other. And then 16 times we find the phrase after him or after them, so coming after, after, after. And these two phrases show us so much. First of all, they show us that we need each other. I want you to hear this this morning. The success of the church is not dependent on how well we live in isolation. It's dependent on how well we live together. Amen. Not that living in isolation doesn't mean something because 
our integrity is most shown by how we live when no one is watching. So I'll, I'll give you that. But let me just say this very clearly. Are you locking arms with other believers for the sake of God's purpose? The work goes faster when everyone works together. The work goes faster when you do the things that God has called you to do and you do them well for his glory with others. But also it shows us this, that our work, the work for God never stops after them, after them, after them. Meaning the work of God will continue after you're gone. After you're gone, the work will continue. But here's the question. Will those who come after you find that you have been faithful to the end? Will those who come after you say, man, they were faithful to the very end? Or will those who come after you say, they left a mess for me because they didn't finish? They didn't finish the things that God gave them to do. And what we have in Nehemiah 3 is a diverse picture of people whose arms are locked together for the sake of the work before them. The work before them had united them. They were united in this work, in the purpose of God. And they were also united, hear this, in their dependence of God. And what I mean by that is this. One of the great things that God does in calling a people is he will call us to do things that are impossible for us. Things that we can't do on our own. Why? So that only God can get the credit for it. By which people in the world will say, there's no way that they can accomplish that and our only answer is God. God has done it. Listen, what's impossible with us will never be impossible for him. We trust him, what he is able to accomplish. Here's the problem. Most of us think that God will only call us to do things that we could do even without God. So therefore, we never try things that are impossible with us because we think God would never call us to do those things. Listen, God's glory begins at the end of ourselves. When we say, God, I can't, but I'm going to trust that you can. I'm not God, but I'm going to trust that you are. And I'm going to follow you. So we work as people of God. But secondly, we defeat discouragement as we identify the enemies of God. So identify the enemies of God. And that is easier said than done. I'll admit that. And we're not going to dive to the depths of that. But this is a great place to be reminded. Hear this. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cos cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Meaning, don't miss this, the Apostle Paul says, Your enemy isn't each other. And your enemy even isn't those outside who don't believe in Christ. Our enemy is the enemy. It's the enemy. And oftentimes what the enemy will convince us is that each other, that we're the enemy. That somebody that holds a different opinion from you, they're the enemy. Or someone out there, they are the enemy. But the scripture says, he is the enemy. And I think of the words of Sidlow Baxter who says, Whenever the saints say, let us arise and build, the enemy says, let us arise and oppose. There is no triumph without trouble. There is no victory without vigilance. There is a cross and the way to every crown that is worth wearing. The ultimate adversity or, or adversary is Satan himself, but his work takes on many forms. Let me just show you two here. In chapter 4, the enemy ridicules the people of God. Look on the screen. It says, when Sambalat 
heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Tobiah also said, yes, what they are building, if a fox, a single fox goes up on the wall, he will break down the stone wall. So what Tobiah is saying is you guys aren't very good at this wall building stuff. And we should know that that has always been the way for the people of God. Ridicule, mocking, jeering, that's always been the way. And the good question for us to ask is, why is Sam Ballot? why is he so angry? Why is he so ticked off? And what we know is that Sam Ballot is about to become the king of Samaria. And he needed Jerusalem to continue to be a place of exploitation. But what we see here is basically, don't miss this. What we just read or just read in verses 1 through 3 is straight out of the, the halls of middle school. And what I mean by that is this. Sam Ballot is the typical bully. He begins to openly ridicule the people and the work of God. He laughs. He scoffs. I guarantee you this. He's not laughing today. But let, let me go on. Then it gets worse because every bully has a sidekick. Every bully has that little skinny kid that would have no fear unless he was standing right beside that bully. Enter Tobiah, who ridicules the work of these non-professionals. And this isn't just empty ridicule. It's fueled with anger and hate meant to stop the work of God. How, where do we see this in our lives? Well, we are taking a step of faith and we see and hear the ridicule. Fill the ridicule. Then the enemy also discourages the servants of God. We see this in verses 10 through 12. So after the servants were discouraged with the amount of work that remained in front of them, the rumors began to circulate of pending doom and pending attacks around them. And if the consequences of discouragement aren't bad enough, verse 12 shows us where the discouragement was coming from, meaning it comes from fellow Jews who weren't participating in the work. And they don't just come one time. It says they come ten different times saying, stop the work, quit the work, come back to us. And there's a huge lesson here. When the Lord burst a, a holy discontent in our hearts, and when we move forward for the glory of God, opposition doesn't always start from without. Many times opposition begins within. With people saying, I don't want to be inconvenienced by your vision. I don't want to be inconvenienced by what you saying God is calling you to do. And I believe that these people probably were well-meaning, not wanting their countrymen to be killed. But unfortunately, because they lacked faith in God, they gave terrible counsel. You know, the best illustration of terrible counsel in the history of the world is the words that Peter gave to Jesus in Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, we read that Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be killed, and be raised on the third day. And Peter, it says, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, this will never happen to you, Jesus. Basically, Peter was saying, As long as I'm here, you'll never be crucified. As long as I'm here, this won't happen to you. And listen to Jesus' response. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Can you imagine? Peter was giving Jesus well-intentioned counsel. He loved Jesus. He didn't want to see Jesus go through pain. 
And you know what? He gave Jesus the most well-intentioned, yet the worst possible counsel that has ever been given, not just for Jesus' sake, but for the sake of the entire world and our salvation. Don't go to the cross, Jesus. Well-intentioned, but terrible counsel. Because if Jesus would have listened, there would be no salvation for you or for me. Oh, how the enemy wants to ridicule, unite against, and discourage the work of God in us. And please hear this. Until Christ returns, we will be under a constant state of attack. We are in a battle. Again, when God saves us, he does not place us on a playground. He puts us in a battlefield, on a battlefield, which we are called to battle. Years ago, Theodore Roosevelt noted these words, and I love this quote. He says this, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how strong man, how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred with dust and sweat and blood, and who, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. May we be a people who find ourselves in the arena, doing the work that God has placed before us. Where do you see yourself in this picture? Are you in the arena, being ridiculed and brought to discouragement as you seek to serve Christ? If so, let me say this. Keep serving Christ. Keep serving Christ. Him, God will reward your efforts. Or do you see yourself, do you recognize yourself as one who tends to be critical of others? Who tends to be critical of anyone who steps out to do the work of God? If that's you, if you recognize yourself there, let me tell you this. Today is a good day to quit the demolition team. Quit the demolition team. Stop tearing other believers down and join the construction crew. And let's get to work for the glory of God. Let's get to work doing the things that God has called us to do for his glory. And then, number three, we defeat discouragement as we advance in the will of God. We advance in the will of God. We can know God's will. We can advance in his will. And I love the fact that in the midst of all the chaos and confusion intended by the enemy for bad, for evil, God used it all for good. The, word, the work excuse me, didn't stop. The work continued. And the reason that I don't think Nehemiah got pulled off the wall when opposition came is because I actually believe that Nehemiah expected the opposite opposition. He expected that it was going to come. And he had planned in advance, I'm not going to stop the work. I'm not going to stop doing what God has called me to do. Are we prepared to advance in the work of God? What does advancement involve? Although this, these won't be on the screen, I want to give you quickly five pictures of advancement that we see in Nehemiah chapter 4 of what advancement in the will of God involves for all of our lives. First, advancement involves lives committed to communion with God. Advancement involves lives committed to communion with God. Look at verses 4 and 5 of chapter 4. Nehemiah Praise, hear, O Lord God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. Give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt 
and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. But I love this because Nehemiah's first response to ridicule was prayer. Once again, Nehemiah shows himself to be a man of prayer. He drops to his knees. He runs to his God. He asks God to do what only God can do. But let's be honest for a second. This prayer that I just read, it sounds harsh, doesn't it? This is the essence of his prayer. God, this, is a, this attack isn't on us. This attack is on you. We don't want you to overlook this, God. We want you to step in because your name, God, your name is on the line. Not ours, God. Your name is on the line. So defend your name. Defend your honor. Defend against the threat that these people are bringing. And here's what we know. When Jesus came on the scene some 400 plus years later, Jesus prayed as he died on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus told us that we need to pray for our enemies. We need to pray blessings on them as they persecute us. But let me also say this and understand this. Anytime that we pray, come Lord Jesus, or anytime we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Anytime we pray that, here's what we're praying. God, you, may you come and may you make all the wrong right. And we know that when Jesus does come, he is going, as Mike said earlier, he's going to punish. He's going to punish those who did not bow the knee to him. So when we pray your kingdom come, in some senses we are praying for their salvation, but in other senses we're praying for God's judgment and punishment on those who do not trust him. But ultimately, Nehemiah's prayer forced the people to ask themselves, who's in control here and who are we trusting? When ridicule and persecution come, our first response can't be fight back, even though that is mostly our first response. Our first response when it comes to the things of God is to drop to our knees and entrust those things to him. Entrust those things to him. John Bunyan put it wisely. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. Let me say it again. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you have prayed. Amen. Second, advancement involves minds captured by the calling of God. Listen to verse 6 and 7. So we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. I love that verse. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. But I love that. The people had a mind to work. Hear this. Not a mind to watch. Not a mind to mock. Not a mind to grumble. Not a mind to gossip. Not a mind to disrupt. They had a mind to work. To work on the things that God had placed before them. That is good. But the opposition won't stop. Yet despite the threats, the insults, the ridicule, it didn't fracture. It didn't fragment the people. It united them and they kept working. They knocked, knocked out 50% of the work on the wall just like that. Listen, it's amazing what God's people can accomplish when we're unified in the calling of our God. In spite of opposition, we persevere. We keep 
going. We pray. No matter what insults are thrown at us, we keep our eyes fixed on our God and fixed on the task, and we just keep working. Has God given you a holy discontent? Has God burdened your heart? Has God led you towards a specific work? If that's you, I, let me just tell you this this morning. Let me encourage you in this way. Don't stop. Don't stop. Why? Because, hear this. Here's why you should not stop. Please hear this because this is very, very important. Don't stop because, number one, obedience matters. And because ultimately you and I will stand before God, not before the Sam Ballots and the Tobias of this world. Meaning you and I, we won't ever have to answer to those who persecute us and mock us, but we will have to answer to God. We will have to answer to him. Therefore, when God calls us to do something, the only response is obedience. Obey him. Number three, quickly, advancement involves hearts consumed with confidence in God. So advancement involves hearts consumed with confidence in God. Look at verses 13 and 14 here. It says this. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I and Nehemiah speaking stationed the people by their clan with the swords, their spears, their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, I love these words, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then this is their task. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. Again, we are not saved and put, put on a playground. We are saved and put on a battlefield. And just look at what's, what's happening. Hey, when we think about this amazing picture, when all is said and done, it's not Nehemiah's reputation that's on the line. It's God's glory that's on the line. And Nehemiah, and I pray for us, Nehemiah is focused on God's glory. And in verse 14, this is Nehemiah's Braveheart, William Wallace moment. I wish I could have read it with a Scottish accent, but this is Nehemiah basically saying, listen, this thing is too big to be centered around us. We're fighting for more than ourselves. Remember the Lord our God. Remember what our God has done. Remember that God doesn't change. Remember that God is for us. Oh, that we need to remember. Have we forgotten this God that we serve? And then number four, advancement involves hands clenched in battle with God. Hands clenched in battle with God. Look at verses 16 and 17. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way, hear this, that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And one hand, one hand, they have their swords. The other hand, they have a trowel. They were building and yet defending at the same time. And again, here's what I see here. This is a picture of the Christian. We live in this world and we are called by God to a work. But if we are not careful, let me tell you what we forget. Oftentimes, we are unaware of the reality that we are, that a spiritual war is raging all around us and that we are caught up in it. When was the last time you thought about your, the enemy? When was the last time you thought about the ways in which the enemy and Satan himself were working in your mind and in your heart? 
I beg to say most people, we never even consider the fact that there's an enemy because we're, we never, as A.W. Tozer, we said a few weeks back, we never find ourselves in lion country. We never find ourselves. Anytime we hear the lion roar, we run the other way. Instead of placing ourselves by the will of God, by the power of God, exactly where the enemy might attack, knowing that he who is in us is greater than he that's in the world. And here's the problem. Do you know that? Do you know the God that's greater? Do you know the God that's greater than he that's in the world? Do you know the God that offers us more pleasure, more joy than anything the world could ever offer us? Oh, that you do. But understand this. There is an enemy who wants to pull us away from God, who wants to pull us away from the word of God, who wants to pull us away from the ways of God, and we must persevere. We must per persevere. And then lastly, advancement involves ears that are open to the calling of God. Ears that are open to God's calling upon our lives. Look at verses 18 through 20. It says this, And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. That's how the chapter ends. Our, essentially, our God will fight for us. The persecution will continue through the next two chapters, but the question we have to ask ourselves is this, why is this here? What is it about this chapter that we need to know? In church, I would simply say this. Opposition is going to continue to be a part of our Christian life and our Christian ministry. And the enemy wants to lead us, discourage us to a point where we just throw in the towel, we give up, and we quit. But here's how I'll end. Has God put a burden on your heart? Have you opened the scriptures and read what God said could be or should be? Then have you looked at the culture and the world around us and realized that's not what is? Do you desire God's glory in that? Have you dropped to your knees and prayed to God? If so, that is fantastic. Praise the Lord. If not, let me say this. If that's never been a point in your life, may today be a day that you ask God to break your heart for what breaks his that God would give you a burden, if not for a work, maybe for even a greater work, of seeing your family come to know him, seeing loved ones come to know him. Ask God to break your heart for what breaks his, but rest assured, brothers and sisters, mockers are coming. Discouragers are coming, and they will seek to dump a big bucket of cold water on your passion. To get you to quit in your obedience to God. Those people are out there. And here's what I would simply say. The gospel is too great. The calling is too infinite. And God's purposes are too glorious for us to quit. Proclaim anyway. Go anyway. Serve anyway. Build anyway. Listen, we have to be a persevering church knowing that we are working while waiting for that true trumpet call. Nehemiah talked about that trumpet call. We're working while we're waiting for that true 
trumpet call. And let me just say this. Our time is short. Our work is great. Our God is greater. All of the momentum that God has started here, whether it be individually or corporately, must not stop until the work is accomplished. But let me say this. Let me give you one last final picture. If you want to avoid discouragement altogether, let me give it to you right now. Never attempt anything for God. Just go ahead. If you want to avoid discouragement altogether, never attempt anything for God. Live your life for yourself. Live your life for the way that the world tells you to live. And let me tell you this. You will not have any discouragement in your life from the standpoint of spiritual discouragement, but you will miss everything that God has for you. You will miss his good, you will miss his glory, and you will miss all the beauty of what God wants to do in our lives. And you will miss this, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, may we not miss that. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. We're going to call the musicians and Brother Frank Ford as we enter in this time of invitation and consecration. And let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, that you are greater. You're greater than the opposition. You're greater than the enemy. And, Lord, I pray that we would be a people, God, that would experience the discouragement, that we would experience the, the roars of the lion that show us that we are actually doing the things that you've called us to do, God. For not only do we get a Savior, Lord, when we get serious about you, we get an enemy. We get an enemy who wants nothing more than to discourage us so that we quit. That is why we need each other so much. Again, Lord, help us to lock arms, help us to persevere, help us to encourage one another, and help us, God, to do the work that you've called us to do. Some this morning might be, they need to get back in the game. They need to get back in the work. Get back in doing the things, serving the ways, God, you've called us to serve. Whatever it is, Lord, may we do it, Lord, not to us, not to us, but to your name be glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.